Hey, can you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8? We continue our study in the book of Romans. I need to clarify something. It's something that's in the news for a year and a half now. Um, and I've never, if you, if you notice, I haven't addressed this. So I need to say something about NSCF's, that's North Shore Christian Fellowship's uh, position on COVID-19. The Delta variant and any uh, possible future variants, because some are saying this is here for till the rapture. Our nation has become polarized. It's become divided over this issue. There are good people and actually passionate people on either side. Communities have become divided. We've been, been in, encouraged to tattletale on each other if they're violating some mask thing or something. So some churches are divided over this. There's churches who are pro-vax. They don't want you in there unless you're vax. There's other churches who are anti-vax. They don't, they want everybody that way. On our staff, we have some who are vaxxed and some who are not, and we get along great. And it's because our fellowship is based on Jesus, not upon a particular persuasion or position regarding the vax. I'm here, I'm not here to try to convince you to think like I think on the vaccine, okay? I'm here to win souls for Jesus Christ. I don't want to be distracted from that. I don't want to lose people because I'm overemphasizing my position on this heavily divided issue. Now the women in this church are about to start this study the Armor of God by Priscilla Shire. Great study. Priscilla has this great word picture. She uses flaming arrows, not the fiery darts that hit you, but the flaming arrows that are intended to bypass you as a soldier and to set on fire your supplies. So picture this, you're here with the enemy and all of a sudden you see these, these flaming arrows go over you and your supplies are on fire, so now you're distracted trying to put out the fire and you forget the enemy's coming in, man. The enemy's here to, to try and kill you. And I see that happening in churches today. We can get so concerned over our position in this debate that we get distracted from what is our main calling, saving souls, not losing them. Personally, it's not up to me whether you get the backs or not. You're adults. Do your homework. Do what's good for you. It's confusing because it's basically who do I believe? What facts do I believe? So I take it to the Lord. But it's up to you. But be prepared when you make your decision that the person next to you doesn't agree with the opinion that you have. And that Jesus in the meantime says you're to love one another. So how do we do that? Do you ever look at the 12 apostles? You know, Jesus prayed all night before he appointed the 12 apostles. And I look at them and go, are you serious? This took all night in prayer? So you have some who Jesus called the sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire from heaven and consume anybody who disagreed with them. We've got some sons of thunder in the world today. He's had another one who was a tax collector, highly hated by anybody because they gouged in and got extra taxes so they could live off the fat. He had others who were just country fishermen. 
You had others who were zealots and wanted to overthrow the government. And yet, Jesus used them to change the world. In this church, we have Democrats and Republicans. Go figure. When you see a bumper sticker of the other opposite party and you drive into church, you go, how can they be saved? You know, what? You know, blankety, what? Well, they, and you look, you go around, you're looking for the kook because he doesn't think like you think. Honestly, if everybody in the world thinks like me, it'd be a great place to live. You know, don't you feel that same way? Everybody feels that way. But what do we have in common? We have Jesus Christ. All right? Let's not lose our focus. Let's not get distracted. Let's not get divided over an issue that is probably here with us till the rapture comes. Let us remember, we are going to spend eternity in heaven together. Get used to it now. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Let's... <laughs> did not want to share that. I was praying last night and God said, share it. All right. So, you there in Romans 8? Wheel of Fortune. The very first time I saw Wheel of Fortune was when it first came out. I, I was clueless. I'm not even sure I had a TV at that time. A bunch of us were at a, a conference in town. We we're staying at a hotel in town and uh, we we're all going out to dinner that night. So, we gather in the hotel lobby and on the TV, as we're waiting, is the Wheel of Fortune. It was so old that Vanna White had to turn the letters. Do you remember that? Are you that old? <laughs> can't believe I have friends that old. But, and and I'm, just, I'm looking around. I'm kind of mesmerized. Like, wow, everybody's in there. Nobody's sleeping. There's excitement. There's prizes. They're yelling out the answer. Get an S. Get a T. And I just thought, wow, this is just like church. No, not even close. But I thought, you know what? God will not be outdone by Wheel of Fortune because of this promise. Look at this promise from Jesus. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You know, as a Christian, you might have life, but do you have abundant life? Have you been accused lately? Like, wow, man, that guy's full of life. That lady's just a shower waiting to happen. I can't wait to get around and just feel so clean and so blessed. That's the life that Jesus wants for you. And he, we serve the God of the more then. Today is Sunday morning, September 19th, 2021. Hopefully that's not a revelation to anybody. I thought it was Tuesday. <laughs> Wake up. Well, this is what I want to know. What kind of Christian growth would you like to have in your life by Christmas? It's just three months away. By the end of the year, what do you want to see happen? You see, my grandson, six years old, still, he comes over the house and we have marked on one of our doorposts where they all grew and kept growing and now they stopped growing and but steel wants to know how did I grow how much did I grow and every time he's grown he grows by eating chicken nuggets and milk you're not go figure but the, for you for me as a believer usually if we grow it's on purpose that's why Peter the Apostle said applying all diligence add to your faith virtue Meaning, get in the race. Get on board. And if we're growing, it's going to be on purpose. So how do you want to grow? You go, oh, I'm not talking about what do you want to lose. Yeah, by Christmas, I want to lose 10 pounds because I gained 20 and I won't feel that bad. That's not what we're talking about. I want to know what do you want to gain. 
Have anybody here, you're, you're purposing in your heart, I want to gain in spiritual intimacy. I, I want to be able to worship, you know, in freedom. And in freedom, you know we have a hooter here, right? Is that a shock to anybody? When she first came here, she couldn't raise her hands. She's freaked out. She thought you were all a bunch of kooks raising your hands. God set her free. Do you want to grow in spirit? And I'm not saying, let's all hoot for, no, 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 I'm not saying that. How many want to memorize more scriptures in the next three months? How many want to get into your Bible or participate in Ohana groups and participate in prayer meetings like on Friday night? How many want to just get going in the next three months? Again, it's going to happen on purpose, but we serve the God of the more then. So, by way of review, this is one of my sayings, the God who cannot lie. Now, those of us in Ohana groups, we just studied this. We're going through the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 18. It says, it's impossible for God to lie. I like that because everything he says is true. So the God who cannot lie makes promises he cannot break. Now, last week, one of the promises Pastor Danny covered, one of the best in all the Bible, that Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for our good. But that's not for the heathens. That's not for those who don't know Jesus Christ. That's only for believers. There's two qualifications. It's for those who love God. It's not just, I believe in God. The demons believe and they tremble. The demons believe a lot more than you do. They know a lot more scriptures than I do. They are convinced. They've seen them. But this is for the one, I just love him. I love what he's doing in my life. I love his persistence, his consistency, his new mercies. And the second thing is for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you're here this morning, and you're going, I got nothing to do with God, this promise isn't for you. But if you're here this morning, you know, I freshly surrendered to God. I love what he's doing. I'm trying to live a life that's pleasing. God promises he will work all things together for good. He doesn't promise when. <laughs> he doesn't say how, because usually we're clueless. We can't figure out how's he going to do this. He just promises that as God, he will do it. Bottom line, God knows what he's doing in your life. Okay? Now, verse 29, it said, now this is all connecting with the God of the more then, okay? So in verse 29, it says that God foreknew, and he predestined the believer to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's back up on that. Foreknew, God operates in omniscience. Omni is all, science is knowledge. God operates in all knowledge, omniscience. Matter of fact, look at that. It's impossible for him not to operate in foreknowledge, not to operate in, in knowing everything. So here's a picture of Mount Ka'ala. It doesn't show up too good on this thing, but this is taken by our good friend, uh, Pete Klaproth. Mount Ka'ala, it's the mountain right over here, okay? Now, this is the Wailua side, the Haliva side, not the other Makaha side. Now, how many blades of grass are on this side of the mountain? You would answer, well, I don't know. God knows. God could tell you in a heartbeat. How many wild pigs are on that side of the mountain? I don't know. God knows. How many pregnant wild pigs? And how many piglets in each mother? And when will they be born? What time? What day? And then how much hair will each piglet have on the back of its I don't know. God knows. So if you're here saying, well, I wonder if God knows what I'm going through. I think he does. 
He operates in all knowledge. He operates in this foreknowledge. And that's why he takes such good care of us. Now, if you had foreknowledge, if you possess what God has, and you went to the horse race track, see in Bowie, Maryland, where I grew up, there's a big famous horse track, and my dad's boss, J. Edgar Hoover, he loved going to Bowie Racetrack. So we'd go there. I'm not a betting guy. It was fascinating to just watch these horses. So in every race, say there's 15 horses, and you're operating in all foreknowledge, and you got all the... Who are you going to bet on? The loser? I'm betting on horse number three. He's coming in first place. I'm betting on, because I'm operating in foreknowledge, I'm operating in all knowledge, and I'm choosing the one who wins, and God chose you. I don't pretend to understand that. I know it's true. Now, that doesn't excuse you from turning your life to Jesus Christ. Well, God, God knows, so it doesn't matter to me. No, two things. The door is open to every one of us. The Bible says the pro his propitiation, his satisfying God's wrath is poured out for the whole world. Plus, God wants you there. God, it's, it, it, God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and to turn. Do you, you understand that? God's planning his wedding party. And he's going, who should I invite? And he says, you, I'm inviting you. I want you there. Would you respond to his invite? So it doesn't uh, excuse you from turning away because God wants you there. Now, here's the tricky part. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So if I claim to be a Christian and I'm not growing, what went wrong? If I can say, you know, 10 years ago I surrendered to Christ and I'm still, I'm still the biggest cuss in the neighborhood. Um, something's wrong. That's why Paul the Apostle said, why don't you look inside, see if Jesus is in there. Because you're supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow and become more and more like Jesus because you're having this love affair with him. So, Romans 30, this is the last of the intro. Romans 30 says, God sees us already glorified. What? It's past tense. He talks about it in the past tense. You go, how can that possibly be? Did you see what I did this past week? Did you see what I've done since I've been kind of... How can good people do such wrong? How can God say, Mike, in my opinion, you're sitting up here glorified? It's because of his view of a parade. See, we, with a parade, oh, hopefully we're going to get back to our Hollywood Christmas parade, second Friday night of every of December. And what we do is a, you're, you're stationed, if you're not in the parade, you're stationed somewhere along this, this road. And all you see is the part of the parade that's right in front of you. You know, and, and it could be the baton twirlers. You know, it could be the policemen. It could be the fire truck. It could be the hula dancers. It could be the, the horses. And now the horses are in front of you, and all you got, man, all they're doing is pooping. What kind of a parade is it? They got pooping horses right in front of me. This is a lousy parade. God says, it's not over yet. But I see the end from the beginning, and we're going to end with a bang. And see, he sees your life, and right now you're going, all I see is horse, whatever. And God says, the glory's coming. The glory's coming, and he sees it. 
He sees the end of the parade from the beginning. What's at the end of the parade? You're glorified with him if you're a true believer. Now, with that, we are in Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. I'm writing, or reading from the New King James Bible. And what we're seeing here is the Apostle Paul begins this section with a bunch of rapid-fire questions. And he ends up answering his own questions. So question number one, what do we say to these things? Verse 31, meaning, did you hear what he just said? If you're loving him, if you're, you're following him, everything is going to fit together somehow. He doesn't say when, he doesn't say how, he just promises to do that. Matter of fact, he's, he's operating in foreknowledge. He knows exactly what you're going through. He sees you as glorified and he goes, <laughs> what are we supposed to say to that? Do you get the essence here? King David, Lord, I want to build you a house. God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. And David goes, what am I supposed to say to that? I was just a little shepherd boy. Now you got me as a king. So what shall we say? The next question, what did I do here? I did something, sorry. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Good question. You have God on, got your back. Then the next question. He did not, if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Remember, justifying makes it like I've never sinned, plus I have the righteousness of God in Christ. That's his commitment to me. He's saying, yeah, who's going to bring a, God, a, a charge against you? God's got your back. So if someone's got something against you, you go, you ought to take it up with God, okay? Because God's got me. You're, you're making a charge against his elect. Now, don't be a doofus and earn the charge, but just, he's saying, God's got your back. Then he goes on, who is he who condemns? Who condemns you? Then he goes, who condemns? He goes, for it's Christ who died. Furthermore, he's risen. He's at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us. So what Jesus is doing for you right now, whether your name is Kaiki or Mary or what, he's praying right now, Father, open their eyes that they would digest this and become a game changer from this time on. Who's going to do that? Who is able to separate us from the love of God, love of Christ? Shall tribulation? So he starts listing things that you and I are not going through. Maybe Afghanistan, the Christians there, the beheadings that we're hearing about. So, so tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, Nakedness, have you ever read that? That believers had to run naked? There's such persecution going on? It is, years ago, you had this positive confession, this doctrine, this teaching. Well, I'm God's kid, so he wants me to dress like God's kid. I don't see that in Romans 8. I'm not saying, let's all get to that point. Don't get me wrong, but he's just talking about various things they went through. Or, or nakedness, peril, or sword, having your head cut off with the sword. And then it says, as it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So what was his tone of voice? Because, you know, I, I'm big into communication. There's three ingredients in communication. Your, your content, the very words you say, I love you, that only counts for like 7 or 8%. So the husband, I don't know what's her problem. I told her I love her. Yeah, it's the rest of it. 
So communication or the tone of voice stands for like 37 or 38%. And then the rest, the 55% is nonverbal. So are you there paying attention? Are you rolling your eyes, hand on your hip, you know, just bummed out? But we don't have that here. We don't know his tone of voice. We don't know his, his body posture. We just know what he's saying. So what's his tone? I, I, I think if I'm already broken, if I'm already bruised, he'd say, hey, Mike, God's for you. Who's going to be against you? And there'd be such tenderness. Now, if I'm being a doofus and I need a slap upside the head, his tone would be, hey, Mike, God's for you. Get it together. Do you see the difference? You fit in somewhere there. Now, with these promises, now we're going to read verses 37 through 39. We finish this chapter. Yet in all these things, what, what, what things? Persecutions, nakedness, head cut off with a sword. We're more than conquerors. Through him, don't, don't miss this phrase, through him who loved us. That's how you get the victory. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing, as if he's saying, if I left out something, it's all included there. Nothing shall separate us. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, more than conquerors. What does it mean? There's a difference between conquering and more than conquering. I, I'm a big fan of MMA, mixed martial arts. I took karate in high school, so don't judge me for this, but I'll watch. And I'll watch as I'm sitting there and they're fighting. I find my danger, you know, just trying to get them, you know. And a victory well, for a championship round, championship fight is five rounds five minutes each round with a minute rest in between. And a close fight is, well, this guy got two rounds, but this guy won three rounds. He's the conqueror. I've seen other fights, they last like six seconds. The guy comes out, boom! That's a more than conqueror. Which one are you? The barely finishing, or man, that guy's a more than conqueror. Look out. So it suggests three things. Number one, there's an enemy, and guess what? He's not going away. You have an enemy of your soul. And he's going, just give me a corner of the room. I won't bother you. That's a lie. He's the father of lies. He's there like a cancer to grow and infest and take over. So you have an enemy. There will be a struggle. Anyone who tells you otherwise, it's not true. There's going to be a struggle. We'll see that in Joshua's life in just a bit. And there will be a victory. That's what it guarantees for the more than a conqueror. So more than conquerors at what? Well, in the context here, we already covered that. In persecutions, in trials, and even being beheaded. More than a conqueror. What else? Where else in the Bible do we read more thans? Because there's like 90 of them. Some say there's more. It depends on what version you're reading. But say 90. Well, you ever see this in 2 Kings? 2 Kings, what happened here, we have Elisha. The second, remember, there's Elijah, and then there's Elisha. Elisha has a servant. They wake up one morning, they look out, and the servant goes, Dude, we're surrounded by the enemy. He's freaking out. They're everywhere. So Elisha says, Don't fear, for those 
who are with us are more than those who are with them. So this is power. God has the power that we need. Here's another one. In Job, Job for how many months, we know it was at least months, he went through radical trials and problems and issues and then the his friends were hassling on top of that. He went from being the richest man in the world to nothing. Absolutely nothing. And at that point, it looked like God will never bless again. It's over. It's too much. And yet it says at the end of the book in chapter 42, now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job, what's the words? More than his beginning. So this is restoration for that person who says, I've done too much. I've drifted too far. I can't be back again. God says, watch me. It'll be more then. Just get right with him. Here's the third one. Psalm, one, Psalm 40, verse 5. I love this one. Your thoughts toward us, God, <laughs> they cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare them, speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God's love thoughts. So this one's more love. More love. There's other places. You know where else it's more than? God wants to give you more than peace. He actually gives you Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He'll give you a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't come with, oh, no, I understand. No, it's like, I don't get it, but man, God's given me such a peace. It's more than a peace. He gives you more than joy. He gives you a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That means I can't put it into words. I don't know how to convey this, but man, I have a peace. And it's, I have a joy. I should be crying. I have a joy. That's the kind of joy that he gives you, he has more than hope. He wants you to, to know to abound in hope. He wants you to abide in love, joy, hope. No, faith, hope, and love. He, he, he's the God of hope. He's already given us hope. His hope doesn't disappoint. Remember in Romans 5? For the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is more than just hope. He offers more than forgiveness. You ever see this? Wait, wait, I thought... I thought all I need is forgiveness and I'm going to heaven. Try this. He offers you rivers of life. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, you come to me out of your innermost being, meaning you're not practicing in front of a mirror. Be joyful in this. No, no, no. This is real. And this is what he has for you, the believer. It's more than just being forgiven. Man, you're coming around. You're a shower waiting to happen. Anybody gets close to you. I feel so clean. I'm so, I just built up. I feel thrilled that I know this person. How about escape? Deliverance. He offers more than that. More than conquerors, which brings us back to our beginning. This is the point. These scriptures are not made to just feel, for us to feel comfortable. We're feeling blessed. But these scriptures demand a response. All right, I'm supposed to do something with this in my current situation. So now we're going to talk about Joshua. Remember, Joshua took over when Moses died. Joshua took them into the promised land. That's not a picture of heaven, because all they had was battles once they got there. It's a picture of being filled with the Spirit and being victorious. And so at first, yeah, Joshua led the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. They're on a roll. Next city, Ai, they had some problems. They got a little cocky. They finally overcame that, and then they're on a roll. Until chapter 9. In chapter 9, oh, I'm sorry. Here's the idea to, to, to Joshua. God's saying, every place your footsteps is yours. 
as much as you want, as little as you desire, it's yours. Just go and possess it. So the idea is God will give you more than you need because the promised land represents a land flowing with milk. It's not like, gee, I wonder where it is. It's like, wow, it's the abundant life. Some have life, some have abundant life. Okay, so and with, within they get, they get tricked. Remember at first they're on a roll, they're doing, they're learning how to do this. In chapter 9, the Gibeonites come up. Remember the trick they did? Said, man, they were the next town over. They did not, man, we left, this bread was fresh, now it's all crusty and moldy. You know, it's just, we barely made it here. We just want to make peace with you. We're way on the other side. And Joshua, the leader, they never even prayed. They just looked at the circumstances. Oh, yeah, it looks good to me. So we'll make a covenant with you. Can I say to you who are looking to get married, pay attention to this. Made a covenant saying, yes, you're now our friends. We will now commit ourselves to you. Your friends are our friends. Your enemies are our enemies. See, that's what a marriage covenant is. You're not my enemy. We're in this together. And so what happened in this covenant by chapter 9, five kings show up. Five kings attack the Gibeonites. And they're saying, amazingly, the Gibeonites said, hey, can we ask our friends, you know the ones we made a covenant with, the ones who say they have our back, can we ask them if they would come help us? And the enemy, five kings, yeah, yeah, sure, we got time. I don't think Joshua and the, kid and the, the, the clan felt like going to their rescue. Do you know what? Do you know they, re they marched all night? Did you ever march all night carrying an armor, sword, all that stuff? I, I think there's some grumbling going, man, we should have never entered, entered that covenant. We should not have to fight this fight. But you agreed, and then God honored their covenant. They marched all night, and then they attacked. So then God honors their covenant. He actually rained down hailstones that were so big, it killed the enemy. And the Bible says God killed more with his hailstones than Joshua and his army killed. But here's where it comes to a great part. Remember, these scriptures demand a response. So as they had victory, they gathered the five kings who had attacked the Gibeonites. And they laid them down. I almost did this on the stage, have five skulls. I think that would be kind of weird. Is this Halloween? No, it's but they just laid them down. You have to picture this. Here's the king, the one guy who freaked you out. You were running for your life. You were scared. He's now there. I want you to come and put your foot on his neck. He will never bother you again. Do you get that? Put your foot on Now watch what he says. Joshua 10, verse 25. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid of this king anymore? He's, he's nothing in your sight. You're more than overcomers. And then he goes, don't be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. I want you to see this. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. What if I don't fight? You're going to live a life of defeat. You'll be pushed around by those kings all your life. You'll have life. You won't have abundant life. So this is what I want to do. He said... These kings, they saw him very visibly. I'm going to help us picture what's going on. So this king, right here, is the king of shame. Some are ashamed of their past. 
My wife was, had an abortion, divorced, jilted at the altar of a second marriage that never happened. She came to Hawaii full of shame. Put your foot on that neck. You've been pushed around by this guy long enough. You've been serving him long enough. Yeah, but you don't know what I just did. You don't know what I've done since I'm a Christian. You're full of shame. I get it. You're human. Put your head on his neck. We're going to defeat that king right now. Here's another king. This one's of cowardice. This is of being defeated. This is of fear. I'm wondering what a big king this one is. Where he goes, hey, you're afraid of COVID-19? You're, you're afraid of witnessing? You're afraid of... Put your foot on the neck. That will be defeated. The next king is one of indifference, laziness. And it's for those who go, I, I don't have a Bible, Bible plan. I just don't. And you've been a Christian for umpteen years. Read it. You could, God Almighty wrote you a love letter, and you're not even reading it. It takes discipline. It takes determination. It takes a battle plan. Get into it. And then you go, oh, well, I just, I read, you know, the news. Put your foot on his head. Defeat that thing. Get rid of that fear. And that being defeated, that indifference. How about the king of gossip? And people are like, I can't help it. The Bible says gossip is like dainty morsels that go right inside, down to my innermost beings. They're speaking of, in the Hebrew, cinnabons. Look it up. And you go, how come cinnamon cinnabons have sin right in the middle? You know, you ever think about that? God's trying to speak to you, but I'm not listening. And so gossip, you go, what? And do you want to be known as a gossiper? Because guess what? Your friends will all be gossipers. And I'd be afraid of you. I don't want to be talked about like that. You want to hear my side? I love what Pastor Tripp used to do when he was here on staff before the mission was planted. He'd come up to me and say, hey, Mike, someone is talking smack about you. I told him, have you talked to Mike? No. You got one week, and if you don't, I'm going to bring you to him. Guess what? Nobody talks smack around Trip. He wouldn't stand for gossip. Put your foot on the head and defeat that guy. Here's another one, king of lust. Is he not everywhere? Is he not gaining influence? You know what lust is? It's wanting that forbidden fruit. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, if you will. So the king of lusts. You've been bowing to him long enough. Do you have a battle plan? Are you accountable? What's going on? Because it can ruin you. It can ruin your sex life, your intimacy. It can ruin your marriage. It's a king. You need to put your foot on it and defeat him. How about this one? Here's a king of bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's like, what, what happened? How did you become so bitter? You're known for an angry, being an angry person. What? You know, has the Holy Spirit ever come alongside you and said, wait, what's going on? Mikey, when you first became a Christian, you were so sweet that the burden was lifted and everything's good and Maranatha, Jesus come in. And you know, everything, there was not a care in the world. And now you're known for bitterness. You're known for not forgiving that one person. How did your heart get so hardened? If that was a king, put your foot on it. Defeat that king. Here's another one. How about mind games? Confusion. You know, you're reading your Bible, you're going to church, you're plugged in. That's not it. Just spinning, 
spinning, spinning. Put your foot on his, his neck. Last one. Here's the king of pity parties. And again, you might be in church attendance and, you know, this and that and this. But when God tells you to do something, you're going, I, I, I don't have time, I'm too busy feeling sorry for myself. Do I have to say it? Put your head, put your foot on that head. So here's what a more than overcomer is. In contrast, let's talk about the king of kings. Let's talk about this king. Now, we don't have our foot on his neck. We're bowing to him. This is Jesus, the king of kings. He dwells in an unapproachable light. Have you ever thought of that? Because you are able to approach him because you have the righteousness of God in Christ. You've been clothed in a new, new garment. And it's like, oh, Mike, yeah, he's okay. Bring him in. This is Jesus who, who died for you. He's the lover of your soul. He, he just has made an eternal commitment to you. And now in contrast to those kings who want to, you know, ruin you, he wants to bless you. He has new mercies every morning. He operates in, in uh, mercy and love and grace and restoration. And... Sounds like a no-brainer to me. This is the God who wants to make you a more than an overcomer. Now, application. Are you a teacher? Be more than a teacher. See how it works? Be an influencer. Speaking life into tender little hearts. You got them. They're, they're right there in your room. How about are you a carpenter? Be more than a guy who pounds nails. Be an ambassador for Jesus. They go, wow, look, God put me on this mission field, and I'm going to win souls. How about, are you a mom of little kids? Be more than a diaper changer. I know there's times, you know, that's all I'm doing, man. There goes another one. Be more than one who, who makes meals. God has gifted you with these little miracles. Speak tenderly to them. Win them over to the kingdom of God. Pray over them. Quote scriptures over them. Provide a godly environment for them. Are you a dad? Yep, I'm the breadwinner. It's not always the case, but be more than a provider. Be a role model. You know what happens? Here's dad for a second. You come home from work. You might be exhausted. You might be ticked off by something that happened and then traffic and blah, blah, blah. And you come home and your kid goes, hey, let's play ball. Let's play catch. And that's the last thing you want to do. Do it. Because my kids are old now. I'm telling you something, it goes fast. It goes fast. When Vanessa was born, our first one, and like a week or two later, we, back then you did things early, we took her to Sears at Pearl Ridge, was still open, and they were doing these things where they'd have a calendar, and then they would um, take a picture of you and somehow make it look like, you know, what am I thinking of? Huh? No, it's stitching, needle points. And so, help me out, Vanessa. You were, so I'm holding little Vanessa. We're waiting for this thing to be, be done. And this guy comes up, some old geezer. He's looking at me. Take pictures. It happens fast. It goes quick. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. No. Now I know. Now I know. It just it goes fast. Be a dad. Be more than a provider. Be a role model. Let them see your struggle in faith. Let them see the reality. 
Let them see the, the victory, the more than an overcomer in your life. How about, are you a teenager? You a young adult? You want to get gutsy? Be the next Daniel, the next Mary. Be more than a teenager, more than a young adult. What about Daniel from the Old Testament, the old prophet Mary, the mother of Jesus? Guess what? They were virgins as they were married. You know what else? That means they missed a lot of parties. We know they didn't get drunk. They said no a lot of times. But they said yes to being more than a conqueror, and they became game changers, role models, people of no compromise. That's what we need more in the world. Now, remember the more than is simply because of this. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. See what's underlined? Through him who loved us. This is the, it doesn't apply if, if you don't have this relationship with him. It's not on your own. It's because of this relationship you have with him. And so you can cry out like, like the psalmist in Psalm 61, one of my favorites. Hear my cry, oh God. Attend to my prayer from the end of the earth. I cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Uh, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. So this is the person who says, I, I hear, okay, more than a conqueror. I, hear, yeah, I get it. I just can't get there. Lead me. Do you know that's a prayer God loves to answer? So, one, la one last more than. Do you ever recognize this? Isaiah 52, right before the famous 53 chapter. He, meaning Jesus, his visage, meaning what he looked like, was marred more than any other. Matter of fact, his form was marred more than the sons of men, meaning he was so messed up after they beat him up, no one was beaten like him. When Pilate said, hey, behold the man, you go, I'm glad you told me because I couldn't recognize him. He was beaten that badly, who for the joy set before him, he endured this, and he endured the cross, knowing you would accept, and you would have a life abundantly following him. So for communion, we're going to have communion if the band wants to come up. Actually, we want you to come up. <laughs> Just two things. We're more than forgiven. More than forgiven. We have life. We have this abundant life. We have this Holy Spirit power. And here's a funny note. We need to forgive others. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're, you're presenting your offering, oh, here's my tithe check, and oh, here I'm going to get the mission. He goes, you, you know someone's got something against you. You might not have issues with them, but they got issues with you. Leave it. That's radical. Don't tithe. Don't, don't give your mission support. Leave. But go and get reconciled with that person. And this, this morning, what happens is you might be ready to get communion, and the Lord reminds you, the Holy Spirit reminds you, you know, you never resolve that. A person's got issues with you. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody leave church and do, but you could purpose in your heart. God, in all reality, I want to get right. And I will leave my gift. I will go to that person, be reconciled, and come back and thus be more than a conqueror.